All right. I'm stewarding your testimony. <clears throat> Let me read you. It's hilarious, I think. Um, Todd Davis, CEO of an Arizona-based company, has had his identity stolen no, no less than 13 times. Thieves have, thieves have used Davis's identity to take a loan of $500 to run up uh, cell phone bills with two different companies of 2576 to enjoy unpaid utilities, that's electricity, uh, to create a standing debt with a gift basket company and rack up bank charges. In addition to these, several other collection agencies reported a sum of 1316 owed in Davis's name. The irony, Todd Davis's company is an identity protection service. <laughs> In a series of advertisements for the company, Mr. Davis broadcasted his social security number on billboards and television commercials. He claimed, just like they have with mine, LifeLock will make your personal information useless to a criminal. Apparently, he was wrong. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission uh, thought he was wrong, too, uh, and fined the company $12 million for fraudulently advertising. Uh, the chairman of the FTC commented, in truth, the protection they provided left such a large, large hole that you could drive a truck through it. Identity theft has become a serious threat now to our technologically advanced generation, and no one is exempt from being targeted. But there is an identity thief who is much more menacing than any online hacker ever dreamed, his name is Satan, and you are his target. His goal is to steal a facet of your identity that is larger than your bank account or credit score. He wants to ruin your testimony. <clears throat> you know what? Uh, he does. He wants to take and he wants to ruin your testimony. And he wants to leave it so that your impact upon uh, the people around you and the world around you is rendered uh, null and void. And he works very hard to do it. And folks, he's good at his game. He is good at his game. He wants to take it away from you and leave it that you can't uh, impact people because he understands that a, that a vibrant testimony is one of the most powerful tools for God to use. And not just your testimony of salvation. That's not what we're talking about tonight. Listen, uh, you ought to have a testimony of salvation and, uh, and praise God for it. But you need to have a testimony of life. It needs to be real in your life. Listen, when somebody comes along and tells you that they're saved but they've nothing to back it up with, you go... Don't think much of that. The lost do the same. You know, don't we sometimes think that lost people can't see? You know, they, we tell them we're Christians and that's all they see. They can see. Lost people can see. They, they can see. In, in fact, they, they are some of your, your, your harshest critics in the sense that they look at you and they really, they really want to weigh up your Christianity. And it's not based upon your Bible knowledge. It's based upon the testimony of your life. So it's precious. It's invaluable to us. And we need to make sure that we hold on to it. That's a word of prayer that we'll look to the scripture tonight. Father in heaven, would you bless us tonight? Help us as we look to your word. And help us as we look to this uh, area of our testimony. Lord, may it be that we live testimonies that bring honor and glory to your name. In thy precious name we pray. Amen. All right, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> It's actually on the front of your sheet there. <clears throat> but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All right, everybody in this room who is a believer appreciates the testimony of Paul. It would be very hard for us not to. I mean, he just has such a sterling testimony. What if, though, Paul had come to the end of his life and like Demas, he had forsaken the Lord and gone back to the old ways and lived his life in wickedness. Listen, you know what would happen? We would never read about him. We would not be interested in him. He would have lost it. Now, we need to understand that, that, you know, we need to have a testimony that ends well. We need to live well and have a testimony that ends well. See the verse there, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8 says, Blessed is, better is the end of a thing uh, than the beginning thereof. Now you may come tonight and you may say, well, if it comes to a testimony of life, I haven't got one. Or I wish I could actually lose my identity like the guy did and take up somebody's identity so I could forget about all the past uh, things that are, and all the things that are associated with me. Well, you can't do that, but you know what? You can change it. You can change how people perceive you, you can change it completely. Yeah, people's memories are short, aren't they? Isn't it amazing? I mean, they're very short. You you can get it wrong, you can mess up, but you live five years before people, uh, and you have a clear testimony of loving God and living for God. And they have a hard time remembering how bad you used to be. After 20 years, they won't believe how bad you used to be before you met Christ or before you turned around. So understand this, that no matter how, where you are in the scheme of things tonight, you can change it. You can turn it around. You can be different. The thing about it is, you've got to focus on being different. Now, we'll look at that in a, in a little more detail uh, tonight, but you've got to be different. We've got to actually turn it around and be different. It is a sad thing when Christians live as though they have no power to combat the world and the world is all over them. It's a sad deal. You've got to get it in your heart that you want to have a testimony, that you want to, to leave behind you something that says, listen, this is a good guy. This woman uh, was a blessed woman. Now, this person lived their life for the better. You know, <clears throat> do you ever think about that, what they'll write on your, on your tombstone? What they'll write on your stone when they put a stone over your grave someday? I know you don't want to go there. You don't want to think about it. But do you ever think about that? What's going to be the epitaph of your life? What are they going to write? You really won't have the opportunity to write. Now, you might leave it uh, and say, Listen, here's what I'd like, to, like you to put on my gravestone, but really it's not up to you because you won't be there. <clears throat> Other people are going to write it based upon what they saw of your life. If you were to die today, what would they write about you? What would the people around you, if they were to come together and collaborate and decide what, it, what what did your life count for or what did you achieve with your life, what would they write? It's a terrible thought, isn't it, sometimes? But you know what, listen, it, it's a really important thought. Not, not just because we want a, a stone that remembers us, but because the way you're living your life now is going to dictate where you're going to be in eternity. Not whether you're going to be, go to heaven or not, but it's going to uh, have an impact upon the rewards you get and an impact upon your eternity. So listen, we need to be, be aware of this thing and, and work this thing out. We need to leave behind a testimony. Paul left behind a testimony. Um, he says, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. 
Now, he wasn't bragging. He was just stating the reality. He was stating what Timothy already knew. And Timothy was his son in the faith. There, there would have been few that would have known Paul like Timothy did. So he, he, you know, he knew he couldn't pull the wool over, Paul, over Timothy's eyes. Um, look at some other testimonies there on the page. Uh, the church at Antioch and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You know what they did? They looked at them and said, listen, do you know what these, these people are? These people are just like Christ. Now they weren't happy about it. They weren't, it wasn't kind of, they weren't, they weren't giving them, you know, this, this wonderful title that, that we, we bear today with such, uh, in the glory of the cross. What they were doing is they were saying, you, you're just Christians. You're like him. What a wonderful testimony. What a wonderful testimony to be accused of being like Christ. And they were called Christians at Antioch, the church of Thessalonica, so that you were in samples unto all that believe in Macedonia and in the Kai. They were examples to the other churches. They had a testimony. Paul and Silas, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren into the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the, the world upside down are come hither also. You know, Paul and Silas had a testimony. They had turned the world upside down. Wouldn't you like to have a testimony that you had turned the world upside down? Now, we know it wasn't Paul and Silas that did it. We know it was God that did it. But you know what? Paul and Silas had a testimony of being so active and so effective in the gospel uh, that they had turned the world upside down. Philippians 2, 19 through 20. Uh, Timothy, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Paul said, listen of Timothy. I have nobody else like him that will really care for you, that will really look out for you. Listen, what a testimony. What a testimony to leave behind. Listen, <clears throat> You're going to leave behind a testimony. You know that? What kind of a testimony is it going to be, though? What kind of a testimony, when you're done and you're finished and you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, what kind of a testimony are you going to have? All right. Um, let me give you three steps that will help you have a good testimony. All right. Three steps that are going to help you have a good testimony. First of all, you need to build on the truth. You need to build your testimony on the truth. That's your first blank there. Build on the truth. Um, <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said this, Nothing makes a man so virtuous as belief of the truth. A lying doctrine will soon beget a lying practice. A man cannot have an erroneous belief without by and by having an erroneous life. I believe the one thing naturally begets the other. What you believe works its way out in your life. That's, that's the way it is. So if you don't have the truth in you, you're going to end up living erroneously. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's just the way. You've got to build your, your testimony upon truth, upon uh, what the Bible says. You know, <clears throat> obviously we can, we, we can look at unsafe people and we can see, you know, listen, th th their lives follow the beliefs that they have. If we were to go to India today, we would look at a people that live in a particular way because of the beliefs they have. Why do they, why do they preserve rats? Why do they preserve cows when they can't feed people? Because their beliefs tell them that they should do it. It's foolishness to us. It's objectively foolishness, but nonetheless, that's what they do because their belief system tells them that. You know, paganism of all kinds causes people to believe and to do foolish things and to live foolishly. 
<clears throat> your belief system is going to affect you. But, you know, even as a believer, you know, when it comes to, 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 to what you're living by, either you're living by the notions you have in your head or you're living by the truth of what the Bible has to say. Either you're making it up as you're, as you're going along, and a lot of believers are, or you're living by the truth of the Word of God. And you've got to build your life on truth. You, you've got to discipline yourself to obey the truth. To actually face up to the truth and deal with it and obey the truth. When the Bible says it, listen, you've got to do it. You've got to live it. Because there's no way around it for you. We have such a capacity and such an ability to actually take the, the word of God and to ignore it when we want to do something. Listen, most of us don't do wrong because we don't know the truth. Most of us do wrong because we're not acting upon the truth. We're living our lives doing our own thing. And if you, if, if you want to have a good testimony, listen, this is the way to have a good testimony, but you've got to get really tough on yourself and you've got to actually live it and obey it and do it. Don't play with it. Don't pretend. And remember that every lie you buy into leads you into another lie. Every time you take on board a lie, every, listen, it leads you into another lie. Every time you, take, you, you look at the scripture and you say, well, I can't do that, it's going to cause you to look at something else and say, you can't do that. And b- before you know it, listen, you can, be, you can be a Bible-believing Christian, you can have a Bible in your hand, but you're not practicing it. You're living your own thing. And listen, every one of you know it, because every time you sin, that's what you do. Every time you do wrong, you take the Word of God and you cast it to one side, then you do what you want to do. You do what you feel like doing over and above what the Scripture says. And what you're doing is that you're not building your testimony on the truth. You're building your testimony on lies, and the lies come in. You know, listen, it's true that your life flows out from the truth that you know. But, you know, what you do is in order for you to do wrong, you change the truth to suit yourself. And Christians get themselves in knots by changing Scripture around, by changing truth around uh, to suit the lives they're leading. If you're going to live right and leave behind a right testimony, you've got to have truth, the Word of God, and not just truth that you read and you know, truth that you live, truth that you practice. Um, Look at the quote there. Doctrine is a necessary foundation of duty. If the theory is not correct, the practice cannot be right. Tell me what a man believes, and I will tell you what he will do. Think that's true? Listen, isn't that what they did with Daniel? They knew what Daniel believed, so they knew what he would do. They just knew how he was going to do it when, when it came down to it because they knew what he believed. And listen, if when you believe truth, somebody can actually look at your life and know what you're going to do. But when you as a believer know truth that you don't obey, you're a very confusing picture. We've got to act on truth. We've got to live by truth. Uh, four provisions of the Scripture. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16 there on the left-hand side of the page. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine, there in that little box, real handy way to remember this. Doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what is not right. Correction is how to get right. And instruction is how to stay right. Now, sometimes we stop with the first two, don't we? Okay, so it shows me what is right and it shows me what is not right. But there's another step. The other step is the application of truth, the applying it to my life, the actual living of it. 
So I've got to have the doctrine of the scriptures. That's your second blank there, the doctrine of the scriptures. And then the doctrine of the Savior. Basically, when we talk about the doctrine of the Savior, you need to understand he is the Savior. There's no other way for you to be saved and know you're going to heaven than through Jesus Christ. He's the only possible way. Jesus is the one that shed his blood on Calvary's cross so that you could know you're going to heaven. And apart from him, there's no hope. And that's the only way. So the doctrine of the Savior then uh, is understanding that uh, he is the Savior and there's no other way. Now, when you get saved, though, the truth of Jesus Christ should change your life. Now, understand this. I don't believe in Lordship Salvation. Lordship Salvation is that you you commit to changing your life before you get saved. Because you're not able to change your life. But the truth that Jesus Christ has saved you and the Spirit of God coming in to dwell in you should change your life. That's a natural outworking of salvation. It should change your life. If you let the Spirit of God have his way in your life, you are going to change. Now, let me tell you some things that won't change you. Uh, coming to church won't change you. That's kind of a strange thing for a pastor to say, isn't it? Now, I want you to come to church, but <clears throat> coming to church won't change you. <laughs> you could come to church every week. You could come to church seven days a week if you found church somewhere. And if you don't apply the truth... You're going to be a hearer and not a doer. You're going to be like the guy that looks at his face in the glass and, and, and forgets, looks at his face in the, in the mirror and forgets to actually brush his hair and goes out looking at state still. That's what you're going to be like. And listen, believers do that. Uh, going to church is not going to change you. Uh, coming forward in the invitation is not going to change you. Don't we sometimes think, well, if I come forward in the invitation, you know, something is going to happen and a zap is going to come from heaven and touch me and it's going to change me? No, no, listen, I want you to come forward when the Lord deals with you. Um, but you know what? That won't change you. That's a commitment on your part that you want to change it, and you're seeking the Lord for a change, but that won't change you. Um, I'm going to make, something that, make a statement here that sounds almost heretical. God won't change you. Now, listen, you can't change apart from God, but God's not going to change you apart from you. Do you know that? God's not going to come down and suddenly rearrange your brain and just change you. God wants you to change, but he won't change you. You're going to have to choose change. You're going to have to choose to change. And I don't, when I say choose change, it's not a case of you saying, well, oh, I'd like to change. That's not what happens. You've got to say, listen, I want to change. With everything that's in me, I'm going to be different now because of God. And I'm depending upon you, Lord. Lord, would you work in my life? I need to change. And you become committed to it. And the more committed that you are to change, you know what? The more power of God you're going to see in your life and the more change you're going to see. That's just the way it is. Listen, we've got a lot of obstacles to change in our lives. What are some of the obstacles to change? What are some of the obstacles to change in our lives? Come on. Pardon? Pride. Pride's a big obstacle to change. What about our background? Don't we sometimes look at our background and we say, I'll I'll never be able to do that. Look at my background. Now, look, listen. I think we should give our kids the best background we possibly can. And I think we should praise God for everything God did for us in our backgrounds. But is that the deciding factor? 
I haven't got a good background. I can't be right. Okay, let's think about the Apostle Paul. What was his background? Murderer? Persecutor? He did okay for himself. He changed the whole picture of himself, didn't he? So, listen, it's not a case of our background being the issue. We can change. I appreciate uh, Rick Savage's testimony. I don't know how much Rick Rick Savage told you about this, but um, when he was young, he he lived a horrible life. His home was a horrible place. As far as he was concerned, he believed in every family, people screamed at each other and threw ashtrays. Right? No, that, that's just that's just what he believed life in every he was he was surprised to find out that that didn't happen in every home now his wife was raised raised in an abusive home she was beaten horribly in the home she was raised in so uh, they got married and um, they're saved now but they got all this baggage they're carrying with them and one day this godly man and his family came to their church and and the man preached and all of a sudden rick savage got a this got a vision that he wanted to change his life, that he wanted to be different, that he wanted to raise a family like that. Now, it didn't happen because he came and made a decision at an altar. No, I'm sure he did. It didn't happen because he went to church, although he did go to church. Obviously, he's a pastor. He went to church all the time. It didn't happen uh, because God did it in his life, although without God, he could never have done it. It happened because Rick Savage made a decision. I'm going to be different. I'm going to have that. My life is going to be different. And somehow, God responded to his decision, and he's got a wonderful family. All of them ministry, all of them loving the Lord, all of them walking with God. But it didn't happen by accident. It happened... Because somebody said, I'm going to make a difference here. I'm going to change. Now listen, your background is not the issue. Uh, The way you've uh, been brought up, the fact that you come to church every day is not the issue. God's not going to step down from heaven and suddenly zap you so that you change against your will and you become different. God doesn't make you change against your will. But when you exercise your will and you decide to change, God says, I'm there. And God will be there to help you. God will be there to enable you to change, to be different, because that's what he does. You can change. There's an abundance of power available uh, for you to change. You you need to look at your life, and you need to change your trends. That's number two there. Change your trends. Change the way you're living. Change, change your way of life. Change your modus operandi. Change the way it is in your heart and in your life and the way it plays itself. You can change it. Sometimes we become prisoners to what we've been. You know, they say, and by the way, this is not even spiritual. They, they say in the self-help books, they say in the, you know, the um, self-improvement books that everybody has a ceiling in their lives. And the ceiling is as far as you can go. And you know who puts the ceiling there? You do. You put the ceiling in your life. You decide how far you can go, and you can only go as far as you think you can go. 
And the same is true spiritually. What Savage was doing when he made that decision is, he, he listen, he just tore out the ceiling. And that's what you need to do. You need to tear out the ceiling and realize, now hang on a minute, I can change. Now, change is never easy. Have you found that out? Change is never easy. Now, you get in a bad habit, and it's hard to change it. How many of you have given up smoking at some point in your life? You were a smoker and you've given up. Man, that's hard, isn't it? Smoking is a hard deal to put behind you. You know, it's a, it's a tough one. You, you've developed a habit, you've developed a craving, you've developed, and it's a hard one to put behind you. You know, but are you glad you did? Aren't you so glad you, you paid the price and put, it, uh, and put that behind you? you know, listen, here's the deal. The deal is, right, that although change is difficult, the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. Ultimately, it's harder not to change. Ultimately, it's harder if you live your life and do the same old things you've always been doing because what happens in your life is you end up racking up consequences. You end up racking up consequences. 